She's singing the Dolly Parton version because that's the only version we stand here. <laughs> that's true. No. Just saying. Yes. What? Who sings the? Now I'm trying to think of. The bodyguard it, version is isn't Whitney it Whitney Houston. Houston, right? Yeah, yeah, but it's a Dolly Parton song. She wrote. That I know. Song. I yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, you better know that, or else we have to break up. I'm not. Listen, I know this might ostracize ostracize me from everyone. Wait, fuck! Oh my god! <laughs> Wait, no, no, we're back. No, we're back. Just, we're okay. back. It's fine. Oh my god! <laughs> my fingy slipped. <laughs> Uh, Butterfingers. Sorry, so this might ostracize you, but you're a monster that hates Saint Dolly. Is that no? I don't hate her. I just didn't grow up with like a huge uh, Dolly part. I mean, yeah, nine to five. I watched like when I was in my twenties. I didn't watch it when I was a kid. A way to make a living. Still, it's all (laughs) taking and no giving. (laughs) But yeah, I just don't. I'm not super familiar with Dolly Parton or her works. Uh, and I know, you know, she's a big cultural icon. I just don't know a whole lot about her. But um, that's like, again, I have really bro taste. I can't help it. I don't know why. I don't know where I went wrong in my life. But listen, the binary isn't real. And your taste is just your taste, taste baby. Is my taste. I don't know. But so anyway. welcome to the Spooky Succubus cast for another edition. Uh, I'm Abby. I'm here with Rebecca. We're an anti-capitalist anti-racist, intersectional feminist, socialist, communist podcast about horror movies. Mm-hmm. And boy, howdy, do we have a big one for y'all today. Uh, Abby is frothing at the mouth to talk about this. Oh she can't wait. I'm excited have, too, but... I think I have psychological problems. Okay, so we're talking... <laughs> Same. We're talking about... I know I have psychological problems. We're talking about Cabin in the Woods today. Uh, fuck Joss Whedon. Right at the top, we have a lot to talk about with his abusive behavior and patterns of like, like misogynistic behavior in the kind of like sci-fi and horror genre. But we'll get to it. But nonwithstanding, this movie is a triumph, bro. I love this movie so much. And yes, do I have a boner for Bradley Whitford? Yes, okay, mm-hmm. I grew Big up one. on the West Wing, and <laughs> the, like, Josh Donna love story, like, to find a generation, man, even I... though fuck neoliberals, but, like, my dad and I used to watch the West Wing together, I can't watch an episode of it now, uh, for anything, like, I remember hearing a podcaster, like, back when I wasn't as far left, I would listen to, like, the Pod Save America crew. Do you know those guys? Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. And I remember them talking about how they would sometimes watch the West Wing to be like reminded of the good times. And I was like, y'all are trash. Whoops. Uh, I know. It's like so embarrassing. But yes, uh, Bradley Whitford and Richard Jenkins, to be honest, like this dynamic duo. I mean, there I'm are a couple feelings. of cutie pies. Yeah. They're cutie like so. Pies mean and mad at everybody uh and like terrible people yeah they're so cute i don't i'm i'm a terrible person yeah i have to empty i have to empty my trash so i'm sorry (laughs) if you hear it uh i also didn't watch the west wing it's kind of like frazier 
There's like a lot of intellectualism in our sitcoms and uh, drama. If you miss Frasier, you know you missed Frasier. Like, I can't, you can't you go know. back and watch Frasier now. I know the parts of it, but I, I never got all the way through. I was watching, as I stated before, uh, Roseanne. And um, I don't know what else. What other? I was watching the, the lowbrow working class families get, get along. But I don't we know. were like so into Scrubs. Scrubs. Like I, my dad loves Scrubs. Oh my god! The, Listen, I my mean, dad has like, he has like four cultural touchstones. Okay, he has <laughs> the, the West, West Wing, mm-hmm. Scrubs. He has seen the movie The Italian Job. The Italian he, Job. Two hundred times. Wild. Uh huh. And he'll watch A Knight's Tale every time it comes on TV. And this, outside of like Jim. old reruns of like Hogan's Heroes this is the content he's consuming (laughs) what a weird like hodgepodge (laughs) jumble of things to watch I bought him the DVD of the Knights A Knight's Tale for Christmas one year and he still just watched the cable version because he didn't like the swear words that were on the DVD version oh no Uh, I mean, I'm not going to say I don't like weird stuff. Like, I love horror movies, and then also, like, I'm obsessed with the OC. Like, I love teen drama from 2004 where everyone's wearing tiny little sweaters and ballet flats. Like, I can't get enough. I don't know. I get it. Yeah, I cannot believe you willingly watched She's the Man the other day. Um, I love She's the Man. We'll get to it when we talk about The Covenant, but, like, uh, it just, like brings me a lot of joy it's so fucking stupid and fun i don't know i don't know is it amanda Bynes or like another just lady that has amanda Bynes face i yeah i don't know like her face looks unlike anyone else's face on the planet earth but like uh all that from our childhood and the amanda show were like i was the perfect age i was like the the demographic they were searching for like nerdy sarcastic little kids in the 90s and early 2000s yeah all that was big for me yeah uh okay this is a really strange cast so we have amanda Bynes and she's (laughs) the man channing Channing tatum Tatum. Uh uh-huh like before channing tatum was who we know him as today yeah Uh uh-huh alexander breck alexander breckenridge who's been in a couple of seasons of american horror story and david cross I love David Cross. And he is basically uh, Tobias Funke, but uh, as, like, a headmaster of a school. Like, he's just, like, he chews yeah. every scene. Uh, it's great. They're, it's great. It's so bad and so good, and I love it so much. Uh, but that's not what we're here we're to talk We're not here to talk about today. that. We're talking about what, uh, I don't know. I'll, we'll do a bonus episode on She's the Man, and I won't stop smiling when we talk about it. <laughs> If this shit isn't making us smiling, if this isn't making us smile, why would we be doing it? Because no one else is really interested. Although the post about cum gutters did garner a lot of attention. So I think we have our our future direction for our marketing and social. Can't wait. So here we go. The Cabin in the Woods, uh, written by Drew Goddard and Joss Whedon, Garbage People, and directed by Drew Goddard, Garbage Person. And I only say that Drew Goddard is a garbage person 
not because I know anything about him, but because he is a longtime collaborator of Joss Whedon, who has cultivated abusive work environments everywhere he's ever been. I need to know more. I know nothing, but we'll get into that later. Oh, I have I have receipts. (laughs) So we open in an office with Sitterson, played by Richard Jenkins, and Hadley, played by... Uh, Bradley Whitford. My heart is already a flutter. Uh, so they're chatting about um, some kind of ritual that they have to complete. This chemist named Lynn joins them and says, Stockholm failed and only Japan and the U.S. are left in the pool to complete what they have to do. Meanwhile, college student Dana packs for a weekend away. She looks longingly at drawings of a professor she was sleeping with, but friend and roommate Jules comes in and tosses the photo of the professor. I have a problem with the, like, okay, so she doesn't wear, is only wearing underwear, which is, like, something that I do all the time. I wasn't wearing pants earlier, but I also am not wearing a bra or, like, a nice shirt. She's wearing, like, a blouse and a necklace, full makeup, I no know. pants. And I feel like that's such a, like, 90s, early 2000s thing that, like, in ladies movies. are lounging around in full makeup and their underwear. And that's, like, how you relax, even though you're wearing, like, I'm, like, wearing, like, a 5X t-shirt if it's relaxing time. Yeah, like, this... you can't see where my body is. Exactly. Yeah, she would not be, like, with, like, a tiny, like, delicate necklace on, like, Boobs, a fly-in, no makeup, hair in a bun. Like, if you're going to do the no pants. The blouses in this movie are so, so bad. That synthetic, uh, like, polyester, like, faux chiffon. It's, like, sort of transparent. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And they, every blouse had, like, ruffles on the And little, like, breasts. And they were, like, kind of flared out at the end and, like, really bad floral prints. There's a lot of offenders in this movie. The first shirt I wore to meet uh, my husband's parents, uh, Caesar, do you know him? You ever heard of him? Ever heard of him? Uh, He, or I was wearing this, like, like faux chiffon blouse that was like blue plaid and it I'm sure you were sweating sweating Sweating. Uh, it was sheer so I had to wear you know we all wore like four shorts shirts at one time and then the other like remember like the camisole under the v-neck yeah or like that would like go down past your hips so I was wearing like low-rise jeans uh, probably Ugh. boot cut, and I was wearing like a camisole and then a t-shirt over that, and then this faux chiffon blouse that was like cinched at the like upper bicep arm, and then cinched at the waist too. So it was like, and then like flowy, billowy everywhere else. I it was I like what were we all doing? I don't I don't know. And flats. I do not know. And these ballet yeah, flats. Dana's ballet flats are very upsetting to me. I. Wore many a pair of flats <laughs> that were kind of in that vein, and it's just it's so sweaty. Great. Like grow, my feet hurt all the time. I don't know. Ugh. Bad. So I can feel like, yeah, I can like feel what it felt like to walk in those shoes where your toes are just like squelching around <laughs> in the sweaty flats. So nasty. Cute. So friend and roommate Jules has dyed her hair blonde and wants Dana to get loose with uh, Kurt, her boyfriend's friend, Holden. A hunky Kurt, played by some Hemsworth, one of them, arrives and they pack up Chris, the RV, to go to Kurt's cousin's cabin. Uh, Perfect angel, man of the people, stoner friend Marty arrives with his gigantic bong. So it's a bong that collapses into a like thermos like coffee thermos 
And these dumbasses, these two ding-dongs that made this movie, literally made a prototype so it was both a functional bong and a functional thermos, and it cost $5,000 to make the prototype. Uh, one, like, you don't smoke bongs that aren't made of glass, like, and also, like, just, yeah, fake it. Like, are you really going to smoke out of that? No. Yeah. No. I don't think a real weed smoker would particularly want anything to do with that aluminum aluminum bong yeah like no the what's what are those the chemicals in plastic called bpds yeah bpas bpd yeah bba personality disorder (laughs) i'm fine we're fine uh so during the trip marty said that society needs to crumble because it's too far gone, which is true. Uh, Sitterson and Hadley are uh, in their little, like, basement mission control area, and they pull up their big, juicy screens in their operation. Uh, they meet new guard slash employee Truman, who is, like, from the military and kind of, like, isn't into their shit. And is so hot and so bald and so serious. It's like, stupid hot. Mm-hmm. Actually, every... Um, Man of color is extraordinarily hot in this movie. Like the guy from Demolition is like stupid hot. Jesse like, Williams didn't get the order. Jesse Williams is extremely hot. Uh, I mean, I maybe everyone in this movie is hot. Did you ever watch The Family Stone? That like the Hall- I watched it once and I remember it kind of like destroying me emotionally. Uh, it's yeah, very sad. But it's like I probably my favorite Christmas movie, and me and my mom and my sister watch it every year. Uh, but Truman. Brian White is in it. He's having a bomb. He's in it. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but yeah, he's in it, and so that's I watch him oh, once a he year. He does look familiar. Yeah. But yeah, unfortunately, men of color are relegated to kind of like subservient positions to uh, Sitterson and Hadley, and mm-hmm. are kind of like dismissed by them. Because, well, I think this whole movie is actually a metaphor for upholding white supremacy, but we'll get into it. Okay. I'll have to hear your argument. I was going to, they subvert everything except for the big bad, which is race, because that's too hot to handle. Well, I think the whole, like, completing the ritual, well, we can talk about it later. The whole, (laughs) like, completion of the ritual is uh, an effort to maintain the status quo mm-hmm. and to like uh, to maintain white male superiority in my opinion uh, we'll get into it we'll talk we don't they don't even know the ritual yet we uh, we'll talk about it has anyone ever seen this really the, like really obscure movie obscure it's, movie <laughs> like only the so. cool kids know of it the gang arrives at a creepy gas station. Uh, the creepy gas station man, Mordecai, calls Jules a whore, like, apropos of nothing, <laughs> and insults them, so they leave. Um, they arrive at the cabin, and it's pretty dreary, and Marty, who is very attuned, is suspicious. Holden discovers a two-way mirror in his room that he can see into Dana's room through, so they switch rooms and flirt awkwardly. Neither one of them he- turns away fast enough, like... Yeah, you you should be like, whoa, uh, no. Yeah. And when uh, Holden's taking his shirt off, come gutter alert, come gutter alert. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And she's like, oh, let me just linger a little longer. Don't mind if I do. No, Dana, no. The camera pans out and shows that the whole gang is being surveilled by Sitterson and Hadley at Mission Control. Uh, They're pumping in pheromones and all kinds of like chemicals to make everybody act the way they want them to. 
In particular, they want Kurt and Jules horned up, so they're slowing Jules's cognition down via the hair dye and basically like spraying them with pheromones. <laughs> it's working. Uh, the the harbinger, aka creepy gas station guy Mordecai, calls for Hadley and gives a really like sinister and intense warning, but they pull a speakerphone gag on him. It's pretty funny. Oh, you're on speaker. You're on speaker. Poor Mordecai. (laughs) He's, like, taking his job so seriously. And, I mean, he was right in the end. Yeah. I mean, they were also not heeding his warnings, so... Just saying. Uh, The gang swims. Back at Mission Control, the staff are placing their bets. Truman asks how they can wager on it when they control the outcome, but Hadley says all they do is get them into the cellar, and they have to make the choice of their own free will or it doesn't work. The gang parties and plays truth or dare. Marty dares Jules to make out with a taxidermied wolf. It goes great. Uh, It's Dana's turn, and Kurt, like, kind of cruelly pokes fun at her for, like being scared of doing a dare so just then the cellar door pops open and jules is jules dares dana to find out what's down there don't go down there don't. you've seen the evil dead you've seen them all also, don't go down there like don't make out with the taxidermied wolf head there's so many bugs so many chemicals like don't so many chemicals sawdust that was i mean honestly that's like the worst thing that happens in the movie yeah in my opinion it's disgusting i was like couldn't I had to look away because it's gross. Her tongue on its tongue, which I guess is made of sugar, but like stop, just stop. It was made of silicone and coated with oh, sugar, coated, coated which with sugar. I think I would. That just makes it grosser. Yeah, honestly, I wouldn't want to do it. It's like silicone, sugar, and like dust. Uh, right. She goes down into the basement. She gets spooked. The others follow. They find a bunch of weird shit. Marty is like, I am not liking this. I think we need to evacuate. They pick up various items as the music swells, but land eventually on the diary of Anna Patience Buckner. She reads about ritualistic cutting, hacking, and cannibalism done perpetrated by her, like, pain-slash-god-worshipping family. Uh, and then Dana comes on a Latin inscription, which Marty tells her not to read, but she goes ahead anyway and summons the zombie Buckner family from the grave. There's also like a like random voice that says, read it out loud. It's like, and he oh, like, oh, I missed that. You, yeah. So throughout the movie, there's like little whispering. Also, I've seen this movie like 10 times and I knew that Marty was hearing the whispering but I was like I don't hear what it says whatever yeah so you hear it this time I think maybe for like the second first or second time and it's like read it out loud and then he like looks up but mm -hmm. anyway anyway subversion uh oh back in headquarters the winners of the pool are announced um maintenance wins they were the ones that bet on zombie redneck torture family uh so they're the winners hadley is just and ronald the intern and ronald the intern sorry Mm -hmm. (laughs) go ronald he's so Uh, cute (laughs) he's so cute hadley is despondent because the merman didn't win even though kurt had the conch shell in his hands and he says i'll never see a merman Buckners have a 100% clearance rate, so they are ready to go. Uh, And then they mention that it's just them and the Japanese crew left because everyone else has airballed. Airball. (laughs) Airball. Jules is sexy dancing for, like, no one. 
Uh, Marty says he has a theory about what's going on, but he's dismissed, and Kurt and Jules are acting like toxic and crazy. Uh, Holden and Dana are looking at the diary and flirting. It's, like, not sexy. Yeah, uh, like a Kurt, torture pain diary is, like, yeah, a bonding like my, sexy time. Somebody ate my arm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not not cute. Bashed it and then ate it. Yeah. Kurt and Jules head out to fuck, and the guys at HQ are watching them, like, pretty creepily, but are sent away by Hadley. They engage a pheromone mist and turn the temp up, and Jules and Kurt get to it. Hadley and Sitterson are excited to see boobs, and Truman's like, you guys are disgusting, and they say they're not the only ones watching, and that they have to appease, you know, the people upstairs. Right. The ones. Boobs come out. Jules is stabbed. Kurt fights the Buckner off. I couldn't tell which Buckner it was pretty much at any moment. It was very dark. I just say a Buckner. Yeah. So Kurt catches an axe in the back. Jules runs for him, but she's like bear trapped and dragged away. Uh, She sees the zombies' faces and is pretty scared right before she is decapitated. Uh, Hadley and Sitterson say a blessing or like prayer to the old ones and pull the lever for the first sacrifice. The whore. The slut. Our slut is the first to die. Poor thing. Although... Marty... She's the least slutty of the two women because only one of them was sleeping with her professor and it wasn't the one in a long-term committed relationship, so. I mean, I guess why does, like, even sleeping with your professor constitute sluttiness? I mean, more slutty on the professor's part, but. Yeah, he wasn't even cute based on the drawing. Yeah, it's like basically they're just equating her having boobies and being blonde with being a whore. Mm -hmm. Um, So having like sexual autonomy makes her a whore, which makes sense because Joss Whedon hates women. (laughs) Here we go. Uh, Marty's still suspicious and hears whispering, as we've mentioned earlier in the pod. He decides to go for a walk, uh, passes Dana and Holden smooching, and says he has a husband bold, which is pretty funny, because that's referenced earlier in the diary. <laughs> and it's like, ew, man. Uh, he, they're smooching, but nervous to go further, whatever. It's like not an interesting plot device. Like, who cares? They're um, just, yeah, boring. Outside, Marty notices there are no stars, and he says they've been abandoned. Oh, he's so right. Kurt arrives in a panic and tells Marty to run. They head inside, where he tells the others that Jules is gone. Uh, Dana opens the door, saying she won't leave without Jules, and a Buckner appears who tosses Jules's head in, which I don't... Do we need it? Oh, man. Oh, man, I don't know. Oh, good news, my boob tape shipped. Nice. Do I have to tape my boobs for a wedding I'm going to because of the dress I have half selected. Kurt starts to get his senses back and says they should stay together, but then HQ Chemical misses him and then he's like, We should split up. <laughs> uh, they all go to their various rooms and get locked in, which makes no it's sense. Like, what are you gonna Marty, do in there? Nothing. Just like get sit, murdered. Get murdered while sitting. <laughs> Marty breaks a lamp and finds one of HQ's cameras. Uh, they're about to pump Thorazine into the room, but Judah Buckner arrives and yanks Marty out the window just in time. He thinks he's on Marty, a reality TV show, which is pretty funny. So cute. Aren't we all? I think that everything is a simulation, and I'm team Marty all the way on this one. 
Marty fends Judah off with his gigantic bong, but is stabbed in the back with a trowel and dragged away. Hadley and Sitterson then pull the lever for the second sacrifice, the fool. I think there's an earthquake. I don't know. Yeah, there's a Uh, little rumbling. We'll figure out why (laughs) later. Holden saves Dana from a Buckner. They find a trap door and go down into the cellar. They find the Buckner torture chamber down there, a.k.a. the black room from the diary. Uh, Just then, a Buckner meat hook hooks Holden out of the basement, but Dana saves him and maims said Buckner. Kurt arrives, and they all run to the Rambler to drive away. Uh, meanwhile, in Kyoto, the schoolgirls defeat the Yuri, which is very funny because we just uh-huh. covered Ringu. I didn't even think so about it. Getting... I kind of forgot about this part of the movie, but. I did too. It's kind of racist. Uh, getting a. Pretty racist, yeah. Without a fatality. So, um, Kem says they treated the shit out of Marty's pot, and it makes no sense that he's still functional. So, oh, the U.S. is the only one left. Uh, they realize the tunnel is open when it was supposed to have been caved in. So Sitterson runs to demolition where there's an electrical glitch. Uh, he fixes it and the tunnel blows just in time. Kurt decides to jump the ravine on his dirt bike to get to the road where it's open again. He swears to come back no matter what, which didn't happen. It was like a beautiful, Um, a perfect hero speech. And then I know Kurt was kind of nice. I liked Kurt. Yeah, I like them all. Mid-jump, he slams into the force field, uh, and Dana says Marty was right about the puppeteers. They get into the Rambler, and Holden's like, we can do it! And Dana's like, we can't. And then Dana's right, because Holden is stabbed in the head with a something by a Buckner, and the RV runs off the road. (laughs) Whatever. Into the lake, uh, Dana swims out, but is pursued by, I think, Judah Buckner? I don't know which Buckner it is. He's holding, like like, a bear trap on a chain, right? It seems like it'd be heavy to carry around, but you know He's what? He's a big guy. You do you. Yeah. Exactly. They're celebrating at HQ because the virgin's death is optional as long as it comes last and she suffers. Uh, so while they celebrate in the background, she's on the video screen making it to the dock where she's being attacked by Mr. Buckner. Uh, so they celebrate and Sitterson talks to Demo. They insist they never got the order to blow the tunnel and there was a glitch and a power reroute from upstairs, which is suspicious. Um, then the phone rings, Hadley answers and finds out that someone besides the Virgin is still alive. It's Marty! Mm. Our, our beloved Marty. He's fucking he shit up Dana. in electrical, just pulling wires, troweling shit. Yeah. You know what? A really, really crafty, resourceful stoner is someone to be feared, truly. We got a couple of our own. No limit to how high they can fly. I promise (laughs) you that. So he saves Dana. They run through the woods, go back into the cellar where Marty has discovered an electrical box in an elevator. He says someone sent the Buckners up to attack them and he can figure out how to get how to get it to go down. So they head down and pass spooky glass cells of other monsters. And Dana realizes they chose their own death in the cellar. Hadley and Sitterson realize Dana and Marty are in the facilities, so they tell the staff to kill Marty first and uh, spare Dana, or else it all goes to hell. But Marty and Dana get easily out of the elevator with, like, out any big problem. <laughs> They're just they, like, gotta go. <laughs> the zombie arm helps them uh, defeat the dude with a gun, the security guard with a gun. Thanks, zombie arm. And Marty, uh, uh, hear- and Marty thanks him for his work, so... I like like when he goes, I had to dismember that guy with a trowel. What have you been up to? (laughs) 
Marty is our king of the one-liners. You gotta put your husband's bulge for Marty away. Yeah, I cannot. (laughs) I cannot and I will not. (laughs) I was just thinking, okay. Mary, fuck, kill. Marty Hadley Sitterson. Uh, I have to kill Sitterson, fuck Hadley, and marry Marty. Um, yeah, probably. I feel like I'd, I'd probably rather... Hadley just, like, talks a lot. I don't know. I guess the whole, like... He'd, I, I think I'd have to kill him. Maybe it's because I've had sex with a lot of men that are mean to me and think they're smarter than me. That that's why I'm so into Bradley Whitford. <laughs> like, please be mean and talk down to me. Help. Uh, Richard Jenkins just hits weird ever since... Um, let the right one in or let me in whatever the u.s version the, was when he's oh yeah i don't know i don't remember what it's called it, it just hits different you know? he's a great character actor he truly is uh so marty and danny hear a voiceover saying they shouldn't be here it should have gone differently and ended more quickly and that what's happening to them is part of something bigger and what they've seen is nothing compared to what came before and what lies below They go into a control box while being shot at. Dana hits the system purge button to release all the monsters who decimate the staff. It's just like 15 minutes of absolute chaos. It's pretty Um, fun, though. It is really fun. I didn't write it down in detail, though, because a lot happens. Yeah. Uh, Patience Buckner pops out of the elevator last, just checking things out. Uh, Truman and the others in HQ are fending off monsters as Citizen looks for a bypass or override in his, like, old technology. Hadley gets knocked out and ironically meets his demise via Merman, which is really funny. He's like, you gotta be kidding me, which is also a callback to the thing. I think he went, come on! (laughs) Oh, did he say come on? Maybe I just assumed. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of horror taxonomies to borrow from our friends that say podcast and die uh, that we need to talk about. So Sitterson makes it into a sub chamber and is immediately stabbed by Dana. He says, it's you and begs Dana to kill Marty. Dana and Marty go deeper and see the stone carvings basically of themselves. And Dana realizes they're being ritually sacrificed and that they're being punished. They want to see them punished. Sigourney Weaver arrives. I don't know her character's name. Uh, uh, she's she the director. It, oh, it's just the director. Mm-hmm. She says it's different in every culture and has changed, but it always requires youth. There are five sacrifices. The whore, the whore, the <laughs> athlete, the scholar, the fool, and the virgin. If they don't succeed, the ancient ones rise. So if Marty lives to see the sunrise, the world will end. Marty says maybe it's time for a change. And Sigourney says Marty can die with them or he can die for them. Dana very impolitely holds a gun to Marty, but a werewolf attacks her from behind. Uh, Marty grabs the gun, kills the werewolf, and Sigourney knocks him out and tries to kill him. Whilst they tussle, Patience Buckner arrives and kills Sigourney Weaver with an axe from behind. Uh, And then she's, like, knocked over the precipice into the lair of the Ancient Ones. Because she only has one arm, so she's, like, trying to get the axe out. And Marty just pushes them all over. Not a great, like, inner ear, you know, balance situation here for her. Yeah. Uh, Where are we at here? Uh, Marty and Dana are left, and things are starting to kind of crumble around them. 
They hang out on the stairs together, and Dana says Marty was right about humanity, and it's time to give someone else a chance. They smoke a joint together and hold hands as the temple collapses around them, and a giant hand rises up from below and busts out of the cabin. Finn. Bum, bum, bum. I love this movie. Like, it is, I could just watch it over and over again. I've seen it a million times, and I get a giggle every time. I love it. There's a lot to, like, uh, yeah, there's, it's well written. There's a really interesting storyline. There's really interesting subplots. It's a version of characters we've seen a million times, so they feel familiar, but done in, like, a really fresh way. Um... I think it has some problems. I know you're not going to like it, but uh, you can tell me what you think about White Supremacy. I know it has but problems. I think it was written and directed by white white dudes um, who would rather not talk about uh, race in an equitable, um, intersectional way and would rather like relegate uh, BIPOCs to like either uh, punchlines the way they do with like Japanese, an entire Japanese culture and um, like history uh or like just not talk about them and throw a couple black dudes in there be like we've done our part yeah Yeah, so i think you can read it as a metaphor for like toppling white supremacy but the uh yeah the filmmakers don't do a good job about representation or like thoughtfulness and how they portray bipoc so the japanese school girls basically are um marginalized to being like basically like caricatures caricatures they wear like uniforms that are consistent they're like knee-high socks they turn uh the uri into like a bowl of lotus flowers and a frog at the end and they're like giggling and like yeah yeah they're like cutesy uh not to be taken seriously and uh hadley in particular says like a lot of really racist things about the children and yeah. they're literal they're literal children. Uh yeah, and I mean it is there are some like sophisticated references to J horror in the way that um like the URI is stylized, but it's not That's also you could without even thinking about like the history or the folklores that brought about like yeah. you can just be like, Oh, let's make her look like the girl in the ring. Like the girl from the ring, mm-hmm. exactly. Which like, I think is exactly what they did. And then we have several people of color in this movie outside of the schoolgirls in Japan. Uh, Truman, the man from Demolition, whose name I didn't catch, and Holden, who are... So basically Truman and um, the demo guy are like subservient like they're like contract workers Mm -hmm. you know on the level with maintenance guys like it's not Hadley and Sitterson position themselves as like contributing to intelligent work that requires like nuance and creative thinking and um the like BIPOC in the film are not like allowed that kind of flexibility in their characterization except for Holden who they like kind of just like stamp the scholar on him just to like check a box essentially but so the so Hadley and Sitterson, yeah, are the puppeteers. They hold themselves in really high regard. And when something goes wrong, like the cave not working, they blame it on demolition because of, you know, they had the electrical failure when it was really Hadley and Sitterson not watching their subjects and being able to manipulate the, them the way that they are supposed to because... Mm-hmm. 
Marty got away and he's the one who's fucking up the electrical system. So they point to the people who are lower down on the totem pole as having fucked up when it was really them. It's like classic government, classic management structure. Sitterson like laughs at him like, oh, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. I figured it out. And he's the demolition guy insists that like, no, we didn't get the order. It like literally wasn't our fault. And only when it's like kind of too late does Sitterson take him seriously. Yeah. And Holden is, yeah, he's the quote scholar, but he's, they don't give him, like, the other kids have, like, we know that Kurt's a sociology major. We know that um, Jules, is Jules is pre-med. We know, like, a little bit about Dana's backstory. We've seen her drawings, her dorm room. But we know, the only thing we really know about Holden is that he, he plays football with Kurt. And he's, like, smart. That's, that's all we know. And he's new. That's it. Like, he doesn't get any, like, even though. And he the, reads Latin. He, from the 10th grade or 10th something. grade. Uh, but even though we don't get a ton of character development from the teenagers, like, that's kind of the point. Like, in juxtaposition with their... All four of the other white kids, the one person of color is, like, has the very least way down here at the bottom. And, like, he's not... He's specifically heralded as, like, not being part of their circle. He's a yeah. new person, like, an outsider. Uh, and also, like, the one person of color that gets to be part of, like, this main cast is light-skinned, has light blue eyes, like, he's, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And then Truman is this, like, serious, no-nonsense, also new to the crew of the government facility, gets a pretty intense death before the other three government workers that How we've been following How does he die? Closely. I kind of missed it. Uh, he gets swarmed by zombies and, like, shoots them, and then we see him, like... Oh, and then, like, whereas Lynn, the white female, like, educated white female, just gets kind of, like, a tentacle wrapped around her and disappears, And she's gone, you know? yeah. And then, yeah, so the four people who we see in the government facility who have lines, who are, like, interacting with each other the most, three of them are white, the person of color dies fastest, gets the least amount of lines, least amount of development, etc., that's not accidental. What else is new? You know? So, yeah, I totally agree with you. Uh, so I guess where I'm thinking of it is like an anti-racist, anti-white supremacy um, structure is more metaphorical and not like literal. I think maybe they didn't know they were saying this. You right, know what I mean? That's like, anything. <laughs> they were absolutely not intending for that to come across. But I get what you're saying. Is that like, but at the, so, I mean, like yeah, accidentally like, stumbled upon that. I think it is sort of this metaphor for America as a failed yeah. state, right? So, like, the establishment works to preserve the status quo to serve white male supremacy. Uh, and, like, we refuse to accept revolution as something that will be violent and work outside of oppressive systems of government. So Marty and Dana are revolutionaries, and you are rooting for them, but you're also... Like, you kind of, like, experience fear for them because you watch, like, they're going to die. Like, they're going to get exploded by, like, a giant, like, murderous hand. But, so I guess, for me, I feel like it is, like, I feel like, yeah, Dana and Marty are the heroes of the movie. But, like, how are we painting the results of a revolution? Like, it's just kind of, like, a bummer because revolution can mean, like, a better world. Like, someone overhauling these like oppressive systems of power that marginalize BIPOC, marginalize women, marginalize like anyone with a non-traditional or non-binary identity. Um, I lost my train of thought completely. 
Oh, but in this case, it's just serving, like, ancient, powerful man gods. So. Gods, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so that is, I like, got my train of thought back. <laughs> we, yeah, saying. so, like, revolution would mean, in it like, a change to our entire system, which isn't a bad thing, but can be scary. Uh, and some people won't understand it and would think that we would should go along with the status quo in order to save everyone in spite of um, ex- exploitation. Um and harm that it's causing so i don't know but i think that was like i don't know they really were just like we don't like horror movies so we're gonna make a funny one i don't know which is good it's a fun movie i really i love no it is a great movie but yeah i think joss whedon says it's like a love hate letter like he like it comes from a place of like love but it's also like a critical hate letter to horror movies and I was like I think this is just a love letter to yourselves my it's dudes. a love letter to yourself it's like where's <laughs> some murder than everybody else didn't you know we got the guy from the west wing um yeah I think like with every reference they make and everything they do they're positioning themselves as like smarter and more capable horror viewers so it's kind of weird because in some ways it's like it is like an anti-establishment uh, sort of like victory for the victory for the people, victory for people that are not adhering to the status quo. But on the other hand, it's like such a rag with so many layers of like self-congratulatory horror oh, yeah. knowledge. And you're allowed like, to be Like who are you? Quentin Tarantino? Like God. Yeah, shut up. God. You're allowed to be an unsophisticated or like you're allowed to be any kind of horror viewer and still be part of the community and you're allowed to like anything you want and engage with the media any way you want to and these two ding-dongs telling us like that we're doing it the wrong way and like establishing a right way is annoying and it's more annoying especially because it's so fucking good honestly (laughs) i think it's like i love i love the idea of subversion like i like the evil dead i like even though i don't like giving sam raimi too much uh, credit, but like, I also like the idea of like meta horror, like yeah, exactly like, like we like talked about with Wes Craven. Like it's extremely fun, but it doesn't have to be so like kind of like pedantic and like basically chiding us for liking what we like, you know? Yeah, it doesn't have to be holier than thou, judgmental sort of horror. Like you can make a subversive meta horror, love the genre, hate the genre. You can also make just like a shitty by the book horror movie that everyone has already made and every, and you can like it and it can be fun and it can be bad. I don't know. Like, it doesn't... No I media is good, no media is like, bad, except for when yeah, it's and racist think, like, and misogynistic. But I think highbrow, lowbrow, like, that's what the horror genre is here to do, is, like, subvert, subvert what is highbrow and let anyone have access to media at any level. And that's what makes, like, horror such a... I mean, not a not problematic place, but, like, a space where people can connect, you know? Right. So it just... And that's why I think a lot of women connect with horror, a lot of BIPOCs connect with horror, a lot of people who are in the LGBTQ plus community, because it's a place for, like, you can do anything and, like, have sort of, like, open ends because no one is taking it very seriously. So, like, I don't know. I just... More people from marginalized communities need to make those kinds of movies and then we'll have something that like can actually say something important and meta because right now it's just like white dudes being like but horror could be this it's meta and it's like fun but it's i think 
what makes this movie fun is the fact that they got like exceptionally good actors to carry their concept. Because like at the end of the day, like the writing is good, but the delivery, the way that like this environment is created by these great character actors is really like why we keep yeah. coming back to this movie over and over again. And it is, I do love the fact that like, because this is made before Chris Hemsworth was in like superhero movies. So yeah, I think this was made in like 2009, but just didn't come out. It didn't come out of, until a few later. Whatever. Uh, they tried to make it three. It, it like they tried to make it a 3D movie, and they were like, um, "No, thank you, we're good." So then it halted uh, release. I would not really like to watch this in 3D. <laughs> 3D. Movie. Uh, but yeah, other than and he didn't become big until after he made this movie. So like, it's a lot of yeah, like lesser known. But, like, really hardworking character actors who have done it, you know, and they do, all do, like, a fucking hands-down job. Great. Even, yeah, Franz Khan. Khans. What's it? Franz it's Fran Kron- I got it. Franz. Franz? I love Franz Kahn's. No, Franz. <laughs> no, I know Fran. that. No, but I was switching it up. Fran Fran. All right. So we unfortunately do need to talk about Joss Whedon garbage person. Tell me, tell me, tell me. Oh, no, no. So uh, it actually started just this year. It looks like in April. Um, Ray Fisher, who is a BIPOC, he's a black actor that was on the set of Justice League, because after doing this movie, they kind of like both Goddard and Whedon like catapulted over into um, Marvel movies, which like that's what? where the money at. That's where the money. Be. Where, if you're a Marvel fan, no shade. But what is this? Uh, and he fired <sighs> off a tweet about Whedon's like very unprofessional, unacceptable, and abusive behavior on the set of Justice League, Justice which League then prompted is, what? But didn't that's that was like recently, right? Yeah, he this this tweet happened in twenty twenty one. Okay, all right. Sorry, tell me. Um. And so that prompted Charisma Carpenter, who, of course, played Cordelia on Buffy and Angel, to come forward and write this, like, really long open letter about the kind of environment that Joss Whedon cultivated on the Buffy set. He apparently was extraordinarily cruel and abusive, and it heightened even more when she became pregnant. He called her fat when she was four months pregnant and 126 pounds. He would call her to the set at, like, entirely insane times, like... He would give her call times of, like, 1 a.m., you know, 4 a.m. when she's six months pregnant. Eventually, she had Braxton Hicks contractions <gasps> because of how abusive and, like, erratic the environment was. And then directly after she had her baby, she was fired by Joss Whedon. Wow. Uh, and these claims are substantiated and backed up by Sarah Michelle Gellar uh, and um, Harriet the Spy. <laughs> Oh, Michelle Trachtenberg. Yeah, and the woman that played Willow as well, whose name I'm also blanking on. Oh, Allison Hannigan. Allison Hannigan. Hannon. Hannon. And the woman who played Tara, uh, Willow's girlfriend, all substantiate these claims and say it was an absolutely toxic environment. Uh, And then also, Whedon's ex-wife named Kai Cole has come out saying, like, a lot of stuff about their 20-year relationship. She's accused him basically of cheating on her and gaslighting her entirely through their 20-year relationship uh, and being, like, completely antithetical to the feminist values that he, like, purports in his media. Uh, And this is a Joss Whedon quote. 
When I was running Buffy, I was surrounded by beautiful, needy, aggressive young women. It felt like I had a disease, like something from a Greek myth. Suddenly, I'm a powerful producer, and the world is laid out at my feet, and I can't touch it. Disgusting. Absolutely foul. Garbage can, man. Garbage. Like, why are... And I'm sure this isn't going to prevent him from making more Marvel movies for now Disney. Now he's getting that Marvel money, fuck. too. Yeah, like, what the mm-hmm. fuck? And, I mean, it's like a total betrayal to his fan base because Buffy is... Yeah, Buffy is, was a, like, groundbreaking. Like, foundational. Yeah, yeah, Buffy's, like, foundational to any, like, millennial horde, like, woman or NB's, like, oeuvre. Like, there are so many people... That, like, that show was fucking transformational for. And it's just so sickening to hear what happened to, like, the women that we looked up to when we were kids. Like, Cordelia was so cool. I always loved Cordelia. And, like, when you kind of reflect on it now, one article was talking about, like, particularly Xander and the kind of, like, um, character that was cultivated with him where it's, like, this nice guy that can't do anything right. The incel nice guy. And, yeah, you see, like... Really, like, a lot of markers of abusive relationships. Like, God help me, Spike is super wow. abusive. So hot, I love so hot. I love Spike so much. Uh, yeah, I love, like, David Boreanaz. Whew. Um, we do have to take a break. Honestly, though. David Boreanaz in the Bones. Are you having a bathroom I emergency? I to pee so bad. Okay, but David Boreanaz during Bones. So sexy. Oh my goodness, I nearly died. That must have gone for a while. How's your bladder? It's great. <sighs> okay, but I set my headphones down it. and then they immediately fell. I'm making an Instagram highlight of all of our horror movie boyfriends. Love it. Um, What else is there to talk about in this uh, Whedon trash pile? Anything? I don't know. Uh, I mean, I got pretty, like, heated. We were talking about David Boreanaz. You know, I'm not going to say you broke up. Not going to say you broke up the momentum. I'm sorry. I tried to hold as long as I could. I couldn't live. Uh, It's okay. I do love David Boreanaz, so. You could just pee your pants for the cast, because that's the kind of devotion I'm definitely displaying. Next time. Releases episode three days late. <laughs> All right. Uh, what do you uh, What do you think? I mean, we good. Yeah, I was. It's a fun movie. Uh, it. I think it does subvert a lot of things. Um, makes me upset because I think like a lot of the subversion was uh, about like the misogynistic tropes in horror movies, only to find out that it was. Made and created by a misogynist, so um, good times. Yeah, it's really a drag to have to, like, come to terms with this. I mean, it's been really painful for a lot of people for whom, like, Whedon's work is, like, really transformative and important to, like, our development as human people. Uh, So thanks for fucking nothing, Joss Whedon, you dick. Yeah, God. Stop gaslighting and abusing women, fucking motherfucker. Jeez. Uh, yeah, I'm sure on his IMDb page, there's like, in the works is him making a bunch of money. But he's, he's doing DC stuff, not Marvel. 
we were wrong. I don't know what the difference is. And if you're going to come for me, go ahead. I'll come you for you. You can't hurt me. You can't hurt me. Uh, you can't hurt me. I'm sensitive. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. Frequent collaborators. Uh-oh, SpaghettiOs. What should we fuck this week? Uh, Joss Whedon. Fuck Joss Whedon. Uh, and his little bitch Drew Goddard too. <laughs> uh, fuck capitalism. Fuck uh, misogyny. Fuck white supremacy and the status quo. Fuck. Fuck a Hemsworth in a nice way. Fuck Bradley Whitford in a nice I was gonna way. Say, I thought you were gonna say Fran Cons in a nice way. Franz Con Franz. Franz 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 in a nice it's way. It's like oh, Franck from Father of the Bride. Uh, fuck each other in a nice way, as always. Yeah, and it's okay to still love Buffy, even though Joss Whedon is garbage. Sarah uh, Michelle Geller is a queen. All men are garbage. Just kidding. All men are garbage except for Spike. <laughs> Spike is so Spike is like so problematic. <laughs> I know. Why is he so hot though? It's a. It's because he was mean. That's like part of it, you know. You like glide in with his really blonde hair and be mean, and you're like, okay, I'll do it. You and your leather remember, jacket. Oh, this is so kind of fucked up. But do you remember? The episodes where Buffy becomes invisible and she's fucking Spike in his like weird lair, but she's invisible. No, I don't remember that. Oh, that's nasty. <gasps> yes, I do remember that. Remember? Oh my god, that is problematic. Oops. God, Joss, you're so awful. Um, but like also Eliza Dushku deserved a better term, like I really... turn, right? Uh, arc. Sorry, arc's the word. I love Eliza Dushku. Me too. Um, we should do bring wrong it on. turn. <gasps> wrong turn. I was thinking bring so it on, good. but because uh, I love bring it on. Uh, Those are like the three movies she was in. <laughs> she's doing well. I hope. I think she's fine. I mean, I hope you're doing great, Eliza. We love you. Uh, thank you guys all for listening. Remember, we have a Patreon over at Patreon.com/slash/SpookySuccubusCast. We'll be covering episode one of Haunting of Hill House. We're like true Flanagan heads over here because we have Hush coming up too. Oh yeah, Hush! Can't wait. Just emotionally destroy me, Mike Flanagan, you <laughs> bald bald man. <laughs> And then, I don't know, we're doing something else over there, too, I'm sure. I don't think we figured out what yet. but We'll do it. Just stay tuned. We're here. Uh, And if you could please subscribe, rate, and review, we will give you a million kisses and hugs. Virtually. Uh, Give us those five big ones, those five big juicy stars, and we'll love you forever. Uh, But thanks for listening. Yeah, totally. You guys are great. I hope you all Uh, get a husband's bulge. And oh, I'd like to <laughs> same here. I'd like to give a special shout out to Beefcakes of Horror if you're out there, um, telling us that you enjoyed our poop interlude when we were both shitting our pants and had to take a break <laughs> from recording in a recent episode. It filled my heart with joy. So love thank it. you, thank you, everyone out there who is sticking with us for whatever reason. We love and, you guys. Yeah, fellow podcasters, you're all great. Sorry, we suck. But anyway, I don't know. Don't talk about don't talk about my friend Rebecca that way. I listen, we have full-time jobs, you know, stoner husbands to care for, dogs. <laughs> dogs? 
Uh, depression, we're doing fine. Mm-hmm. Okay? Okay. Sure. I love us. All right, bye. Bye. <laughs>